Hi, my name is Rick Bloodworth. This is Tuesday, so we're going to be talking about another patriot from America's history. And the patriot that we want to talk about today is a man by the name of Booker T. Washington. Now, Booker T. Washington was born just Booker in about 1856. He has an autobiography where he talks about the fact that they didn't really keep good calendars back then. And so the best he can figure is he was born somewhere between 1856 and 1858. And he was born uh, on a plantation in Virginia uh, during the Civil War. When the Civil War broke out in 1861, he was listed as property worth $400. Well, Civil War went from 1861 to 1865, and in 1865, a really uh, important event in Booker's life occurred And even though he was just a little boy, no more than nine years old, maybe as young as seven years old by his reckoning, uh, he remembers the reading of the Emancipation Proclamation and what it meant to them at that time. Well, they moved from Virginia up to West Virginia. And in West Virginia, he began to work as a very young boy in the salt furnaces first and then in the coal mines. But he also got to attend school in the evenings. And when he he refers to this as he's looking back on his life, he talks about how that first time as he was going to school, it was like a dream. He said it was it was as close to heaven as you could imagine to be in a in a room full of black children seated at desks ready to learn, to do something they'd never been permitted to do before. And Booker had a passion for for learning. It was something that carried him through very well. He from about 1865 to 1871, he was he was a great student. It graduated from from the schooling that they were able to give him, and he heard of a black school, an institute in Hampton, Virginia. And so he thought, I'm going to go there. And so he just set out. It was a three-week trip, about 400 miles, and he walked nearly the entire way. When he got there to, to the Hampton Institute, he was interviewed by one of the lady principals there. And the interview, he said, was maybe what you'd expect to a certain degree, but then there was another part of the interview that he wasn't expecting. The The principal took him to a room and she said, clean it. Well, that was one thing he knew how to do. And so he cleaned that room to where it was spotless. And when the principal came back in with a pair of white gloves and, and examined it, and she ran those gloves across uh, the windowsills and everywhere else, and there wasn't a speck of dust. And she said, you have entry into the Institute. Well, for three years, from 1872 to 1875, Booker excelled at that school. He went in as Booker, but he had to have a full name. Well, his mother had remarried a man whose name was Washington, so he took that name. And then he took it as a middle name, Taliaferro. Well, Taliaferro was Italian families in Virginia, the, the, their name was derived from Tagliaferro, which was an indication that they worked with iron. And this 
was a family that were iron cutters. And so Booker became Booker Tagliaferro Washington, or Booker T. Washington for short. Again, by the time he finished the school there at Hampton, he was the top student. He graduated with honors. And then he went back to West Virginia to teach uh, young children so that they could learn and be able to go there someday as well. As a matter of fact, from part of his earnings at teaching, he sent his two brothers to school. So intent was he on getting as many people that he could to get an education that he knew would not only lift them up, but it would free them from ignorance, just like they had been freed from slavery. Well, in about 1878, he decided to go to seminary. So he went to Wayland Seminary in Washington, D.C. for about 18 months and studied the Bible there. He had been taught a love for the Bible while he was at Hampton. There was a lady there who really introduced him to the Bible, and he just got a love and a passion for the Word of God. And so he went after as soon as he could and went to seminary so he could learn more about the Bible and learn more about God. He was a Christian man. Well, about 1881, there was, there was a, two very unlikely men entered into a partnership. They had a vision to bring a, an institute of learning for black people to Alabama, of all places, about as deep south as you can get. And, and I say it was an unlikely partnership because one of them was a former slave owner. And the other was a former slave. But they had been able to arrange funding to get this, this institute started in Tuskegee, Alabama. And so they went to Hampton Institute and they asked the president there if he knew of anybody that would be suitable to go there and become the president and to start this institute in Alabama well, the president of Hampton, as a matter of fact, did. There was one man for the job, and his name was Booker T. Washington. And Booker readily accepted this challenge, happily accepted this challenge. When he was going to school there at Hampton, one of the things they taught him to do was to lay bricks. He was an excellent mason. And so part of what he was going to do in, in the forming of this institute at Tuskegee in Alabama was to teach the uh, young men and women who had come there not only the education that they needed, the math and the English and science and all the things that went along with a good, good education, but he was also going to teach them a trade. And one of those trades was in mason work. And so anyway, he got, to, he got to Tuskegee, and the only thing there was 100 acres of pine trees and an old one-room one church and then a dilapidated cabin, little more than a shanty. And from that, they started the Tuskegee Institute. It was called the Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute, Tuskegee Institute for short. And within a few short years, it was something that was really a going concern now. People, young men and women were coming from all over the place to come and attend this college or this institute that was soon to become a college. And one of the things, again, that was so important to Booker was to make sure that they not only had an education when they left, but they had the ability to provide for themselves financially. And this was part of the genius 
of Booker T. Washington. He recognized very quickly that if the black people were going to be able to integrate into this white world, they were going to have to integrate economically as well. They could not be dependent upon others, going to be very few others, for that matter, that were even going to think about helping them. So they were going to have to help themselves. And so this is what they did. Over the years, there were over 100 buildings constructed there at the Tuskegee Institute, many of them brick, and nearly every single one of them were built by the students. I was watching a video the other day about this, and I don't know if this was a, a story that... Uh, actually occurred or if it was just representative of the types of things that Booker Washington ran across while he was the head of the college there. But anyway, he was there was a young man who was laying bricks there and he was complaining to some of the other students around him. He, he just said this, I didn't come here to learn how to lay bricks. Well, he didn't know at that very moment that Booker T. Washington was walking by and he heard him. And so he stopped and he asked the young man if he would repeat what he just said. Well, the young man looked and saw who he was talking to and he said, no, sir, I, I wasn't saying anything. And well, Booker pressed him and he said, he told him what he had said. I didn't come here to learn how to lay brick. And so Booker T. Washington said this to him. He said, I suppose you came here to learn Greek. And the young man was kind of following along as if, yes, that was probably just the exact type of education he was thinking about for a, for a man of his standing. And, and so Booker said, tell me, where are you from? Well, he was from a small town in Alabama. And so Booker asked him, how many people there speak Greek? Well, the young man kind of flushed and he said, nobody, of course. And so he said, how many of them need decent housing? And the young man thought about it for a moment, and he said, unfortunately, most of them, it's badly needed. And so Booker T. Washington said, so what do you think you need to do? And the young man looked at him, and he said, I understand. And he went back to laying bricks, only this time with a renewed understanding of why he was doing that. Booker T. Washington was the head of this school at Tuskegee from 1881 until 1950, 1915, when he died of a stroke. And through that time, there were thousands of students that came there, thousands of students, men and women, who were influenced. One of the people that came there, not as a student, but as a teacher, was a young lady by the name of Margaret, and she had an incredible capacity for teaching. And Booker T. noticed that very quickly, and, and so he placed her in a position of one of the principals there. And then as he watched her progress and as he got to know her better, well, he eventually decided he wanted her for something more than just a teacher or principal, and, and they got married. And this fine young Quaker woman by the name of Margaret became very instrumental in the success of the Tuskegee Institute. As the years went by, Booker became more and more involved with the political side of the college and the fundraising side of the college, and he had to be gone a lot more than he wanted to be. But when he was gone, it was Margaret who took over and took over quite capably the running of the institute there. They were well matched. They were well suited. 
uh, and they were incredible people when you think about it. There's something else that, that I believe is very important to understand about Booker T. Washington's time at the Tuskegee Institute and his influence. He was very much a man of diplomacy. He was, he was an ambassador. It, just as much as, as we think of Benjamin Franklin as being an ambassador overseas and after the Revolutionary War, where we needed men of tact to go and negotiate not only the peace, but ways to maintain the peace with England after the war was over, and something that was very difficult and did require a great deal of intelligence and a great deal of tact, because we're now dealing with former enemies whom we're going to have to work with in this world and coexist with in this world. And so we needed great men like Benjamin Franklin and John Adams and John Quincy Adams and all of the different uh, ambassadors and diplomats that you read about at the founding of our nation. Well, this is what Booker T. Washington was to the black community and the white community after the Civil War was over. There were others, but there were few others maybe not any others that came close to his ability to build relationships between the black and the white community and to do so with a deep understanding for both sides and a respect for both sides. Now, no doubt you can imagine how this did not sit well, both with some of the white people who thought that the black people were getting a bit too, too, too much full of themselves to be thinking they could integrate into society, and he also had problem with a number of black people who did not think that he was going quick enough. They thought that he was something of an Uncle Tom because he would negotiate and interact with the white people just as he would with the black. And so Booker T. Washington was not universally loved, not universally admired by any stretch of the imagination. But he was a critical figure during this time because he did love people, and he had a tact and an ability to, to attract people to a worthy cause. The people that became attracted to this worthy cause were, first of all, An Andrew Carnegie, very wealthy industrialist, and, and he was somebody who was, who was very much capable and followed through with that capability on donating funds to the school. But then there was also another man, a man by the name of William Baldwin, who is the president of a large railroad. And he probably more than any became a fast and close associate of Booker T. Washington, providing all sorts of funds for the school that he saw as being vital to America's growth and to the integration, again, of the white and the black society. He knew it wasn't going to be easy, just as Booker T. Washington did not, or knew that it would not be easy, but they were, they were committed to it. And the things that they were able to accomplish because of that probably were far in excess of just about anybody else that you'll read of in history coming out of this time. Because Booker T. Washington was able to associate both with the black and with the white community in such a way as to get them together to work as well as they could at that time together for a common cause. And there are thousands upon thousands of graduates from the Tuskegee Institute who went on to great achievements in life. 
but but no matter how great some of those achievements were, there were none greater than just the simple uh, ones that went back and became part of their communities and built the houses in those communities and established the businesses in those communities and got the educational facilities uh, built and growing in those communities so that their people could become uh, educated and be able to to be able to take part in our great nation. Booker T. Washington didn't just happen upon this type of diplomacy and this type of love for people accidentally. When he was at Hampton, he had, he had been uh, introduced to the Bible, or at least a love for reading the Bible on a daily basis, and uh, mentioned that and the fact that he went to Wayland Seminary in Washington, D.C. to study the Bible more carefully. But, but this Bible study was so important uh, to the growth and to the existence of the Tuskegee Institute. In 1900, he gave a speech. Uh, he thought that there was going to be maybe a couple of hundred people show up for the speech, but as it turned out, thousands of people showed up. I think it was somewhere along the lines of 6,000 people showed up to hear this speech. It was entitled, The Place of the Bible in the Uplifting of the Negro Race. And this is what he said, and, and he had to give it at two different facilities because there just wasn't room at the first one. So, so the people gathered at another facility down the road from that, and he gave this speech twice. And, and here's a couple of the quotes from that. He said, The men doing the vital things of life are those who read the Bible and are Christians and not ashamed to let the world know it. No man can read the Bible and be lazy. Christianity increases a man's wants and therefore increases his capacity for labor. And then he also talked about this. As a rule, a person should get, out, should get into the habit of reading the Bible. You've never read in history of any great man whose influence had been lasting who had not been a reader of the Bible. And then he said this about the Tuskegee Institute. The school is strictly undenominational, but it is thoroughly Christian. The, the spiritual uh, training for the students is not neglected. Our preaching services, prayer meetings, Sunday school, Christian Endeavor Societies, Young Men's Christian Associations, and missionary organizations testify to this. And then at another place, and one of the quotes that he had was this, I learned to love to read the Bible. I always make it a, a rule to read a chapter, a portion of a chapter each day before beginning the work of each day. One of the reasons that, that Booker T. Washington is one of the greatest patriots in American history is because he loved God and he loved Christ. And he loved the word of God. And he was not ashamed to tell people of his love for God and Christ and the Bible. Nor was he hesitant at all to make sure that this was a big part of the Tuskegee Institute. At one time, they had over 650 Bible students on campus. They had an entire field of study that was devoted to just the study of the Bible and a number of teachers that were hired, professors that were hired for that very purpose. The Tuskegee Institute was something that became vital to the 
ongoing relations in America, the integration of the black people into the white people's society and learning to go by their rules, not because they were just strategic. They did it because they learned the two greatest commandments, because their founder knew the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. The reason Booker T. Washington was so successful was because he loved all men, black and white. And even though there were black men and there were white men who were not people that he necessarily wanted to be associated with because of their ill conduct, he understood the need to be able to get along and to live together. And as I mentioned before, just as, as important as it was after the Revolutionary War to have diplomats who are capable of speaking with the enemy and being able to get along with the enemy so that they would be our enemy no more. Booker T. Washington was vital to our nation in coming out of the Civil War and healing the wounds of the Civil War because he loved his neighbor and he wanted to make sure that they had the best as well. Look at our nation now, and you see that we still have an awful lot of problems. We see that there are a lot of people who take advantage of dividing people by race or any other thing that they can divide them for as long as they think that they can somehow get some leverage over them and some power over them for doing so. It's getting to the point where it's, getting, it's becoming a great problem, isn't it? You can see in our own society right now the difficulties that we are having with our relationships with one another, not just in race. As a matter of fact, race is a very small part of it. But in our ideology, and perhaps maybe the greatest divide is between those who believe that Christ is Lord, that God is our King, and that the Bible is His Word, and those who do not. And because of that, we're getting farther and farther apart. More and more within our news, you hear of difficulties that people are having. You even hear people starting to talk about another civil war. God forbid that anything like that ever happens. But I can say this, something is going to have to change in our nation. We're going to have to have a restoration of our love for our fellow men, whether we agree with them or not on everything. We're going to have to learn to love our neighbors ourselves, and we're never going to be able to do that unless we learn to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we'll never be able to do that unless we are familiar with his word. So this then is our challenge to read the word, to find out as much about God as we can and find out what he expects of us, and then to help our neighbors to do the same. I pray that we won't have another falling out in our nation that is as uh, catastrophic as the Civil War was. Was it necessary? I, I, don't, I don't guess anybody could really argue that it was not necessary, but it's a shame it came to that point, isn't it? I hope it doesn't come to that point again. But if it does, my prayer is this, that my children and that my grandchildren are going to be men and women like Booker T. Washington and his wife, Margaret. Men and women who have enough love for their fellow man that they'll learn how to be concerned not only for those that they love and agree with, but for those who are actually at enmity with them.
because this nation's going to have to be restored someday in some way. And it's going to take great patriots at that point. And the only way we can have people like that is if we are training our children today to love God and to love their neighbor. And the only way we can ever do that is if it starts with us by loving God and our neighbor. Well, that's the, that's the story for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Booker T. Washington's an incredible man. He was an incredible patriot, and we owe him an awful lot. The question, I suppose, now is now, where will the next Booker T. Washington come from? We need to be praying, I believe, for revival in this nation, and it's going to require good men and women who love God to do it. Something to think about. Appreciate your tuning in today. I pray that God will richly bless your efforts as you seek to serve him to the best of your ability.